Well, hello, church. I want to welcome you in Binghamton and Cortland, Corning, and then everybody's going outside. Come in, we put our hands together, make everybody feel welcome, make them feel loved. So good to have you here. Well, my name is Will. I'm the lead pastor here, and I want you to know that I love you. I care about you. I have been praying for you. We are in a series right now entitled, What is a Christian? What is a Christian? It's one of the top most searched spiritual questions on Google. People are asking, what in the world is a Christian? And as I read down through the list of all of the questions that people are asking on Google, I thought, wow, that's a great, that's a great question because I bet you there's a lot of Christians that would have a bunch of weird answers to the question, what is a Christian? So I would like for us to go to the Word of God and discover what a Christian actually is. So last week we talked about this idea that a Christian, Jesus said, is someone who is born again. In fact, in John chapter 3, verse 3, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a teacher of law, comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus, Jesus, we know that you're a teacher. We can see that you're doing good things. He's basically saying, are you the Messiah? Can we trust in you now? And Jesus replies to him, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are, everybody together, unless they are born again. So we discovered that being born again means that you are born from above or born of the Spirit. That your flesh gives birth to flesh, but that there is a new reality that takes place in our life that we, when we are born again, our spirit is made alive. That the Holy Spirit actually comes and dwells in us. We're given new DNA. That we have comeback DNA. That we've been changed from the inside out and that wherever we go, no matter what we do, God's got a seed in us that will always come back to bear fruit. And so today I want to talk about this idea or this question, what does it mean to convert to Christianity? What does it mean to convert? So if you've got your notes, in fact, you can take the brochure and you can turn that over and on the back side of that you can write this down because that's the question that we're digging into is this word. You've probably heard somebody talk about converting to Christianity, that we go around and we make converts. What does that actually mean? So I'm going to start with a couple of things of what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean to convert to Christianity. Well, first of all, it doesn't mean that you have to vote for any particular political party. Can I get a good amen? Now, there's a bunch of people that are upset right now. There's some people that are like, hold on a minute. It can't be possible that if you're a Christian, you vote differently than me. And I'll tell you, it doesn't matter. Jesus never said how to vote. I may have opinions about that. You may have opinions about that. But that has nothing to do with you converting to Christianity. That, you're, that you... There's no conditional element to that. In fact, there's a lot of people that would love to use you 
to gain power politically. There's a lot of people who would love to use the church. They'll take Jesus and say, Jesus does this and Jesus does that. And I like to say, that's what taking the Lord's name in vain is. When you use Jesus to get your political agenda accomplished, you might be taking the name of Jesus and using it in vain. So it's not about who you vote for. That's not what it takes to convert. It's not dressing in a certain way. I I remember growing up, my mom, she was part of the Pentecostal holiness movement. And they were told that they couldn't wear makeup, to which my grandfather, when he came to Jesus, he's a farmer, and he's a very practical man. He said, if the barn needs painting, paint it. Girls were told they had to wear dresses, and there was a time when you had to wear a church hat to come to church. You had to wear that long dress. And then when I was probably in fourth or fifth grade, there was a time where if your hair was growing long behind your head and it touched the collar of your shirt, you were a hippie. And there were no hippies that could follow Jesus. And so you might better have to get a haircut to follow Jesus. That's not what it is to convert to Christianity. You don't have to adopt this whole new language. I've met some Christians where I ask you, how are you doing today? And, And they would say to me, hallelujah, brother. Praise the Lord. Everything's fine. Hallelujah. I was like, oh, that's wonderful. I have no idea what he just said. You have to learn a whole new way of talking, Christianese. That's not what it is to convert to Christianity. There was a period of time when I was in high school, what it felt like was that if you didn't buy a Christian t-shirt and listen to Christian songs, which I hated all of them, it was like, that's a, just a terrible, that's a, that's a not as good as music. I'd rather listen to that other music that was better. And somebody just kept trying to tell me because I'm pretty sure they wanted to sell records. They wanted to tell me that if they could take a B-grade musician and then slap the name Christian on it, that all of a sudden I had to listen to it. And I could assure you I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but I don't need to listen to that in order to prove it. And so you don't have to do all of that in order to convert to Christianity. Although you'll find a lot of people that will tell you that you have to. Or they'll expect that. You're going to have to buy the Lord's Gym t-shirt, not Gold's Gym. It's the Lord's Gym. His, I can't, I don't even want to go into all of it. I'll tell you, it's When you convert to Christianity, it's not now all of a sudden hating the LGBTQ community. Because there's a lot of people who think that now that you convert, that's part of what it is to be a Christian. Now Christians hate. Christians have their certain, if you become a Christian, now you become a science denier. That now... Everything that you see out there, you have to deny all that. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Now, that's fine. 
But I'll just tell you that science cannot prove or disprove God. It's what we call amoral. It doesn't have moral bearing. Now, there's some people that will try to tell you that it does, and they're categorically misunderstanding what science is. And so we don't have to. If you're going to convert to Christianity, these are all parts that you'll hear out there, and it's keeping people from stepping into faith in Christ. So let's talk about what does it mean to convert to Christianity. And, and I think there's, there's a definition that I want to just go ahead and read, and then we'll, go, we'll talk about it a little bit more. But conversion is our willing response to the gospel call in which we sincerely repent of sins and place our trust in Christ for salvation. Everybody say trust. trust. Let's say that one more time. Trust. I'm going, to say this, I'm going to say this again because it's really heavy. It's a big statement, and we'll, pack, we'll unpack it here in a second. But conversion is our willing response to the gospel call. What's the gospel? The gospel starts with bad news. The bad news is this, that every one of us has sinned. That means that God has a created order for the world and we disobeyed that created order every one of us the bible says that the wages of sin is death that every one of us deserves death it's bad news right now already plenty of people offended how dare god condemn anyone how dare god but when we think about it, how dare he not? Because if we didn't believe in justice, we would have to say that Hitler, in all of his heinous crimes, would go without punishment. That if we can punish anyone, we have to punish everyone. If we have a standard, if there's someone who has hurt you and done terrible things to you and you want justice because we are designed to cry out for justice that if there was a God who did not bring about justice then he would not be God by category so by definition God has to be a God of justice it's built into us when we're children what's the very first thing you'll have a three year old if there's two three-year-olds and three cookies, what do you have to do with the third cookie? You better, yeah, you better eat it yourself or you better break that cookie in half because what if I give one child two cookies and the other one gets one? What are they going to say? That's not, fill it in, that's not, that's not fair. It's put into our Eternal hearts, justice. So the gospel starts with bad news. It starts with this concept that I have broken God's law. And because I've broken God's law, 
I've sinned consequentially against all of eternity. It's just a little lie. It's just a little thing. It's just this. It's a, in the end, it's consequential because we have broken God's law. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Here's the good news of the gospel, because gospel means good news. That Jesus came. The Bible says it this way, that the wrath of God was going to be poured out against all of mankind for all of our iniquity, for all of our sin, for everything that we've done wrong, that God's wrath is going to be poured out. We sing about it sometimes in songs, that, the, that we're treading out the winepress of God's wrath. And so what's happening is that there is a, a, a judgment that's getting ready to be poured out on the earth. But this is what the Bible says. In fact, that wrath was never going to be poured out on us. It was always going to be poured out on Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus was slain from the foundations of the universe. That God in his foreknowledge knew that we were going to rebel, that we were going to sin, and he sent his only son to die on the cross, to live a perfect life, to live a, a sinless life, to be a propitiation, to be a substitutionary atonement, to take the place of all of our sin. How could one man be an atonement for all creation? Because that one man is more than a man. He is God. And so if our sin is eternal in nature, then the payment for that sin had to be eternal in nature. That, that It wasn't just because... To be justice, it couldn't just be one man for one man. It had to be one man for all men. And that had to be an inequitable solution because God himself died on the cross so that every one of us could be redeemed and washed of our sin and our sin. For those who will call on Jesus, our sin is placed on him and it is removed from us as far as the east is from the west. And so conversion is our willing response to the gospel call. That whosoever, that anyone who hears the free offer of God's gift of salvation could receive it. And so here's what we do. In which we sincerely repent. We're going to talk about that next week. What does repentance mean? Very, very contentious teaching. What is repentance? We'll talk about that. In which we repent of our sins and then place our trust. Everyone say trust one more time. Trust in Christ for salvation. And so here's, here's what that is. I'm going to give you some things. You write this down. Number one, knowledge is not enough. Knowing of the gospel Knowing the Bible, knowing who Jesus is, knowing that Jesus came. I've heard the gospel presentation. I now know it. I now see it. It's not enough. You can understand the gospel, but that does not make you a convert of Christianity. 
In fact, James chapter 2, verse 19 says it like this. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that. Belief or understanding and knowing information about God, information about the gospel, is not what causes us to be born again. So number two, knowledge and approval are not enough. You can know the gospel and approve of the gospel. Hey, I agree with all of that. I agree with it. Hey, Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. I agree. That does not make us converts. John chapter 3, verse 2. We talked about this last week. Nicodemus, when he comes to Jesus, this is what he says. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. And yet, he knows it and he agrees with it. He has knowledge and agreement, yet Jesus says to him, this is what you must do, you must be born again. And so conversion is our willing response to the gospel call in which we sincerely repent of sins and place our trust in Christ for salvation. So number three, write this down. I must decide to depend on Jesus to save me personally. Now this is, this is a little bit different. Most people don't understand this because we hear this word, we have to have faith in Jesus. We have to depend on Jesus. So what does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? Because faith is sometimes used today to refer to an almost irrational commitment to something despite strong evidence to the contrary. It's sort of this irrational decision to believe something that is not true. Like, if your favorite football team continues to lose, somebody might tell you to have faith. They'll tell you, have faith, all you Jets fans. We're just rebuilding. Have faith. And, and here's the difference. You know that's fleeting. That's, the way, that's not a New Testament essence of the word faith. Because it's contrary to the biblical sense. Here's how you would know that you're having faith in the Jets. If I said to you, would you be willing to bet your house that the Jets will win the Super Bowl? And you looked at the evidence. You said, this is a really good team. They're going to crush everyone this year. I'm going to Vegas. And I'm putting my house up that the Jets are going to win the Super Bowl. Now that is faith. See, what, what the difference is, is that now is personal and you trust. You trust 
that that team is going to come through for you. You have such a trust that you're willing to risk everything for that. You have such a trust that you change your life around it. You have such a trust that you are willing to risk all that you have, knowing personally, because trust is developed personally. The more you know someone, the more you can trust them for good or bad. If you know your spouse likes to sleep in in the morning, you can trust that that's not a good time to have a conversation with them. The more you know them, the more you understand them, the more you, you have a determination, it becomes personal. The more you have a personal relationship with someone, the more you get to know them, the more you understand them, the more you can trust them. Trust is not a statement that's always positive. I can trust that you're going to lie to me. I trust it. I know your character. I also know your character if you're going to tell the truth. Because I've experienced a relationship with you and where I've discovered based on certain criteria, this is how you're going to respond. This is the things that you're going to do. And so John chapter 1 verse 12 says this, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. The language you see in the Bible about conversion is language of relationship. And it's not just relationship, it's a personal relationship with Jesus. That Jesus becomes the central figure of conversion. He is our Messiah, he's our Savior, he's our Lord. And so as we get to know Jesus, we begin to say, I can bet the house on him. So, so he says it like this. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says, come to who? He, everybody together, he says, come to me. Come to me. Why do we want to come to Jesus? Because as I get to know him, I can trust him. All you who are weary and burdened. We spend our life without trust. It becomes wearisome. It come, becomes burdensome. If you have anxiety, how many know? You struggle trusting. You struggle with worry. And so Jesus says, this is the solution to that. You come to me. I don't want you to believe something about me. You could have true information about Jesus. You could have information that you agree with about Jesus. But until you have come to the person of Jesus, then you experience that peace 
Then you experience that he's taking my burdens away. I can know in my head that he's supposed to do that, but I could come to him in his personhood and talk to Jesus, and he does this thing for me. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Not my teachings, not the things that you know of me. He says, when you know who? When you know me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. What's happening is we're discovering the character of who Jesus is. It's why we're, we come together. Because what happens is we develop a personal relationship with Jesus. Your trust in Jesus is developed based on your relationship with Jesus. Here's how you can trust him. Because he lives. I'm going to say that one more time. Here's how you can trust him. Because he lives. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. You can't claim, I'm going to die, and then on the third day, raise myself back to life. There's no options left. He's either a lunatic. A lot of people will say, oh, Jesus was a good man. He can't be a good man if he said, on the third day, I'll rise again. He's not a good man if he's known to be a liar. So then he must be a lunatic. He must have just been crazy. Then he's no good. Liar or lunatic. But if he rose from the dead, then he's Lord. If he rose from the dead, there's nothing in your life that you're facing that you can't trust him with. Because every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line, they're all attributed to me through Jesus Christ. He says, I have given you the keys to the kingdom. I'm releasing them into you. You are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. That whatever Christ has inherited, now we inherit. Why? Because we trust in him. Trust isn't just a hope beyond hope. He lives. He lives in us through the Holy Spirit. We've received the down payment, the seal of the Holy Spirit. The moment you call on Jesus, he comes and he dwells into us. And the Holy Spirit begins to reveal Jesus to us. Because we know who Jesus is, we can trust Jesus. That's why testimonies about Jesus are so powerful. Because you hear somebody saying, here's what Jesus did for me. And I begin to know more about my Jesus when I hear, oh my goodness, my Jesus healed my back. My Jesus healed somebody else. My Jesus took care of that cancer. My Jesus provided for that bill. My Jesus took care of my relationships. My Jesus lives. And so we have a trust. I'll go to the bank. I went to the bank. 
God called me to come to Binghamton. I was living in Springfield, Missouri. You know what I did? I sold my house at a loss. Why? Because I trust that my God has my back. That Jesus said to go. I know my Jesus' voice. My sheep know my voice. They listen to me and they follow me. Now, if I thought I heard from Jesus and I didn't do anything, you're not trusting in Jesus. You haven't done anything to evidence that your life is leveraged. Like if you're getting ready to jump out of an airplane, you won't check the parachute. Anybody going to check the parachute? There's a few. No one? I'm going to tell you, there's two or three people here. I'm going to check the parachute, y'all. I'm getting ready to jump. Now, here's the thing. It's not a lack of faith to check the parachute. It would be a lack of faith once you've checked the parachute than to not jump. If you say everything is order, everything is good, based on the evidence that I see, this parachute should work, I'm still not going to jump. That's a lack of faith. Are y'all tracking me in this? You don't have a faith in Jesus if you're not trusting in Jesus Christ alone as your only hope of salvation. If you're trusting in your own righteousness, Paul... Gets real aggressive around this. What Paul likes to say is, if you are trusting in your own righteousness, you want to be circumcised, that's, you, you go ahead and do that. You might as well go ahead and cut it all off. That's in the Bible, y'all. Go read it for yourself. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Go ahead. That's, what, that's, how, that's how aggressive Paul gets on this. It's either by faith Absolute trust in Jesus or not at all. And that's what it is to be converted. See, conversion isn't I'm a halfway in, I'm a tiny way in. The word conversion has built into it, I'm an all the way in kind of person. I didn't just stick my toe in the water. I did a cannonball. I didn't just kind of Um, I'm a sort of a believer. You can't be a sort of believer. There's no such thing as being a convert and being a sort of believer. Now, here's what it takes to have faith. Because the Bible says it this way, faith or trust in Jesus is going to increase as your knowledge of Jesus increases. So what is sort of the minimum level of trust or the minimum level of faith in order to be converted. The Bible says it like this. If you have faith even the size of a mustard seed, the tiniest amount of faith, the, the least inkling. See, there's a difference. If you just even like, I'm willing to do it, I'm terrified, but I'm still going to jump out of this plane. I'm terrified doing it. When you jump, you could have been the most doubtful person you could, but the tiniest inkling, like, oh, I did it, I did it. Now, the parachute takes over. Or this, the parachute jump instructor who's strapped to your back 
pulls that cord for you. But there was this moment that you had to take a step. And the Bible says it this way, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Anyone who seeks me, if you seek me, I will be found. I am not far from anyone. You don't have to go on this great, great quest. You don't have to go on this great journey. What you have to do is simply say, God, I am now trusting in Jesus Christ alone as my only hope of salvation. That when I get to heaven, I am betting the farm. That when I approach the pearly gates, when I get to the great throne judgment, that in that moment, he's going to open the book. And by my faith in Jesus Christ, not in anything that I've done, he's going to look down through the list of names and he's going to see right there is Will Hampton. My name is written down in the Lamb's book of life because I'm trusting that Jesus has applied his blood on the cross for me. And so I've been converted all the way. I've been redeemed all the way. It's not halfway redeemed. I'm 100% redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And so I have faith in him. Now I go out. And the devil wants to tell me you're no kind of Christian. You're a screw-up. You're a failure. You done jacked everything up. Look at all the sin in your life. And I have this to say. My name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. It is not on my action. It's not on my deed, but on the deeds of Jesus Christ. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ alone. Devil, I'm going to remind you. That Jesus rose from the dead. The Bible says that he descended into hell. And then he took and he robbed the graves. And then he rose again. And then as he came up, he came up. Not only did he walk the streets, but many righteous ones from old walked the streets. Not only Jesus rose from the dead, but he brought back hell. He plundered hell to populate heaven. So if you get to know who Jesus is, you can trust in Jesus. And that trust is a better word than faith because in our contemporary version, faith is a hope beyond hope without any evidence. And we don't have a hope beyond hope without evidence. I have evidence because the Holy Spirit's been deposited in my heart. I have evidence because I've seen the reality of what he's done in my life, the miracles that he works, the lives that are changed, the people that are different. I'm going to learn more about this Jesus, my Jesus. And I'm going to have more and more trust in him, but I've been converted. And I'm learning in my life to adopt into into my life his ways. I'm learning to be made. I'm being conformed into his image, into his likeness. But I've been converted not because of my actions. I've been converted because I've trusted in Jesus' actions. And that's why the preaching of the word is powerful because we become convinced of the reality of Jesus. And then we express faith in him. And so my question is, are you going to trust in Jesus Christ alone as your only hope of salvation? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be converted? I can be an imperfect person. 
In fact, there's never been a Christian other than Jesus who wasn't imperfect. We've all been converted by trusting in him alone. I want to pray for you. Jesus, I pray now for every person. There's been a free offer of the gospel. In fact, that offer stands now for everyone listening. That you will redeem, that you will wash, that you will change every one of us. We confess our sins. You're faithful and just. You forgive us of all of our sins. You cleanse all of our unrighteousness. God, I pray that everyone who hears that would put their trust in you. In Jesus' name, everybody together said, Amen.